Alrighty, everybody, welcome back. This is Tavis Killian and Anthony McDaniels with another episode of the Wacky World of Energy. I know, I know, different recording location, but don't worry, same old show that you're starting to know and love. We've got plenty of great stories to get into today and could get a little bit heated, but then again, that's what makes this segment a little bit more fun. Anthony, what do you want to start with? Oh man, just another wacky world. <laughs> this Every stuff week. is absolutely. Oh my god, it's just like you could start. You could start off with a comedy skit about any of this stuff every week. I swear, that's a good content idea. I think the people right? would like it. Yeah, I know. Well, let's start off with an article from um, June seventeenth, twenty twenty-two. Oil price titled "Russia's gas deliveries to Europe plunge further." Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> okay, so a couple bullets here for everybody. Buyers in Austria, Germany, Italy, and Slovakia are receiving much lower volumes than usual. Gas flows to France <coughs> from Germany have ceased completely. Um, Draghi from Italy. Russia's quote-unquote technical reasons for lower gas delivery are Eliza. What Draghi is referring to there is Russia is stating that they had to go down for maintenance work it's a semi-seasonal type of thing it's not that uncommon but it's not getting done the maintenance work because apparently the stuff that needed to be worked on had to be shipped over to canada for some refurbishment from siemens i believe and it's being held up because of quote unquote sanctions Mm -hmm. um yeah russia could easily be using that as kind of a sorry guys (laughs) like we're waiting to get everything fixed but you know we just can't do it so i'll get into the article a little bit here um, natural gas flows from Russia to Europe continued to dive on Friday. So this would have been Friday the 17th of June 2022, with buyers in Italy, Germany, Austria, and Slovakia receiving much lower volumes than usual. Flows to France have completely ceased. The cut in Russian gas deliveries to Europe, European customers, which have agreed to the ruble to gas scheme Putin has demanded is explained by Moscow with Siemens Energy delaying the return of repaired gas turbine from Canada because of the sanctions on Russia. European leaders, however, say that Russia's official explanation is a lie and that lower deliveries were a political move from the Kremlin. This week, Russia reduced supply to its biggest customers in Europe, Germany and Italy, each of which were sourcing around 40% of their gas from Russia before the invasion of Ukraine. Also this week, the leaders of Germany, Italy, and France visited Kyiv and met with President Zelensky in a show of support of the EU to the Ukraine. (laughs) Um, On Tuesday, Russia's Gazprom said it would limit the gas supply via the Nord Stream pipeline to Germany by 40%. It's a big pipeline. That's a big old <laughs> chunk right there. Compared to planned flows because of a delay in equipment repairs. On Wednesday, Gazprom said the cuts would deepen to 60% of daily throughput. On Friday, Italy flagged additional cuts to deliveries <laughs> with any saying that it would receive just half of the volume requested for the day. Earlier this week, Russia supply, Russian supply to Italy was cut by 15%. Hmm. Germany, we and others believe that these explanations are lies and that the gas is being used as a political tool. 
just like grain. Yeah, and like you said, there's, sure, supply chain issues, yes, those still exist. Sanctions to work through, I'm sure that doesn't speed this process up. But from everything we've talked about so far, I'm gonna have to side with Germany and say, yeah, this is geopolitical leverage being used at the fullest. It's obviously geopolitical leverage. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you guys came out a couple of weeks ago, you guys being the European Union, and said, we're gonna cut off all the Russia... We're going to cut off the gas, but yep. within the next couple of years, we're going to cut oil by 90% by the end of this year. And what did we say? What did we say? Is this Was this a big surprise, the possibility of this for Putin or Russia? No, no. not at all. Was it unbudgeted for? No. <laughs> and what were they going to do when they announced their plans to taper off in a measured fashion? They were going to beat them to the punch. Yeah, be careful what you wish. Hello. They got it. Hello. Hello, is anybody there? Hello, <laughs> brain, brain, is there a brain in the room? Yeah, this is not not rocket surgery at all. And like you yeah. said, Russia didn't just start this invasion because, well, they wanted to pick a fight with a little guy. This was premeditated for many reasons. They want to get to warm ports, probably. They want the ruble to be strengthened, and they want people to consume their energy resources. They're getting everything. They're getting all of that. From their perspective, I bet they're very happy with how things are progressing. And then still we have people in fantasy land in Europe going, oh, well, I can't believe they would cut this off to us. That's not right. Of course it's not right, but this yeah. didn't fall out of the sky. We've been talking about this for weeks, months yeah. at this point. I know. I know. It's just... <laughs> well, Tavis, I'm going to let you kick off the next <laughs> headline here. I'll let you dive into that article, uh, another oil price article um, so what's the response from Germany that we see amid these cuts to gas? Oh, let me tell you, Germany's very quick with the solutions. Like he said, oil price article published on the 20th today, titled Germany turns to coal power amid the natural gas crisis. Bullets at the top, as Europe continues to struggle to wean itself off Russian oil and gas, coal's going to play an increasingly important role in electricity production. I'm sorry to laugh, I just... As I read this, I still can't get past it. German economy minister has admitted that the country will have to use more coal-fired power generation for a, what he calls, transition period. Everything has spent the last 20 years in a transition oh, period? Well, this is, this is the transition <laughs> through the transition. It's a, it's a sub-transition, if you will. What a freaking joke. Germany's oh my god. They oh. shut down their coal fire generation capacity. They yep. shut down new mines. And, Tavis, you should elaborate for all of our listeners that not only does Germany use coal, but they use like the worst and dirtiest kind. Yeah, it's one of the least uh, mature forms of coal. They have plenty of what's called lignite. And when you look at it, it's not dark and black like the coal you probably got from Santa. Well, maybe that was just me. It's much lighter, a lot more brown, and has a lot of more organic material that it's more akin to burning biomass than it is refined hydrocarbons. So, of course, Germany's going to pitch this decision. They've got plenty of the stuff, but it's dirty. This is worse than burning natural gas. I'd argue it's probably worse than using oil to fire power plants, but I don't really know what they're kitted out for over there. Germany, yeah, they got a lot of capacity with coal-fired stuff, but let me dig into what their, who is it, da, 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 economy minister has to say. This is unfortunate, but it is necessary in order to reduce gas consumption. We must and we will do all that it takes in order to direct as much gas in storage as possible during the summer and the autumn. So already, it seems like their strategy is not finding new resources, rather 
well, what can we conserve right now? What can we ration? What can we really do to make this gas we know we have stretch out? Because, I don't know, they're still in denial saying maybe Russia will give us energy materials. It's, it's incredibly confusing at this point. Well, and you know, we haven't really covered the article on this, but for those who want to look it up, they can. There was a, um, a pretty major LNG export facility out of Freeport, Texas, that caught on fire, pretty much totally disabled a large portion, or I think all of it. Um, a week or two ago, was it now? I think it was last week, and it was all of it. And this facility yeah. is the seventh largest in the United States. So that's 20% of our export capacity just gone. Yeah, I'm... I'm you know, let, let's go. Let's go out on a limb here, okay? I'm listening. When that happened, a massive amount of export capability went offline to send LNG from the Gulf of Mexico terminals to Europe, right? Mm -hmm. And what did we see after that with natural gas prices in U.S. dollars? They plummeted, right? Because yes. there's less natural gas. In the United States, if we were just using our gas, we don't need it to be eight, nine, ten dollars an in. But if we have to go and ship a good chunk of it over the Atlantic to help Russia fill their gas, the gap that they have in their gas supplies, then that's going to prove the price in U.S. dollars because a good chunk of that now going not for our use but over to Europe. Okay. There's been a lot of chime in about in recent years cyber warfare and how you know unfriendly nations would try to hack certain things it's been some things have happened over the last couple of years with certain utility grids that have been hacked from places like russia yeah it is not out of the realm of possibility that the explosion in the lng facility was directly or indirectly the result of some sort of cyber warfare we have to acknowledge the possibility of things like that. That's a really unfortunate timing for a bunch of LNG export capacity to go offline. Mm -hmm. Now, this is totally, I haven't read anything. This is my, I wouldn't even call it an opinion, but it's something you should think about. The point I make is this, whether or not that's something like what has happened to bring off that capacity, at least temporarily, the reality remains that... Supplying Europe with a good chunk of our gas from the United States is a much longer supply chain. There's a lot more moving pieces in it. You've got facilities that you need to have a bunch of tankers and you need to, it's, it's an orchestrated thing. You have to be constantly orchestrating this thing. Any parts of that whole thing go down, you can't just reroute to another line. You just lose capacity and that's it, mm -hmm. right? So the point is that us being able to satisfy Europe in an uninterrupted manner consistently throughout the rest of this year and who knows how much further is probably somewhat a pipe dream as well because there's just too many moving pieces and that further stokes the issues. And, you know, it's when our, our capacities to export were hampered because of that explosion you start to see a lot of these articles about Russia, all of a sudden we have maintenance delays and they're cutting gas even more. And then now Germany's like, oh my God, we have to go, we got to use coal. We got to use coal. It's a transition period, transition <laughs> period. You know, I would like, you know what? I would like to know the definition of a transition period because 
you know, once you've been doing something for a while, I don't call it a transition anymore. Or at least, you know, if you, you've you been transitioning to renewables for 20 years and off of fossil fuels. Yep. And now you're like, oh, my God, we got to turn our coal back on. The coal transition. Yeah, the, the great coal, coal transition. transition of 2022. Where were you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, God. Gazprom CEO Alexi Miller said last week about gas supply to Europe. Quote, our product, our rules. We don't play by rules we didn't create. That's that's brilliant. That I don't know who wrote that, but whoever's telling him that's what to say. That's the Gazprom beautiful. CEO, Alexei Miller. Beautiful. That's, that's Russia's side. Mm-hmm. You know that that's as simple as it. That's as simple as it is for them. Yep. Again, we'll read that quote again. Our product, our rules. We don't play by rules we didn't create. Mm-hmm. That's there you go. almost uh, some supervillain type of stuff. There's undertones right. of that statement that scare me. And also, I might add, if you thought Anthony, when he was talking about, oh, hacking infrastructure, that sounds crazy. That sounds ridiculous. Please look into the colonial pipeline. I believe that was around June, June, July of last year. There was a group that was believed to be from Eastern Europe who hacked this pipeline, held it for ransom, and really slowed a lot of the fuel delivery infrastructure and really jacked up some prices in spot markets. So that's not too far off the table. No, it's not too far off the table. Mm -hmm. And all you have to do is make a couple of control valves and a very elaborate, you know, refining pressure. You know, this is is a big process to convert methane to liquefied natural gas. It involves a lot of pressure and a lot of cold, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So any number of things can, you know, some control valves aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, for example, in that massive process, you, yeah, things can blow up, right? So again, whether that was the reason or not, it doesn't change the fact that Russia knows that the ability to uninterrupted manner supply so much LNG to Europe in an it's just there's too many moving pieces man and once they see a weakness whether they created it or not um they're going to jump all over it and it was after that that they cut these gas supplies even further to europe citing waiting on something to be refurbished in canada Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean coincidence possibly i doubt it yeah it's too much of a perfect storm at this point yeah you know, no. and so what do we have happen? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna tee off the next. Mic I can't here. believe any of these stories anymore, Anthony. I, I know, right? <laughs> it's almost like super crazy land every every week, oh, isn't it? It is. I mean, we got more energy, global, macro, geopolitical energy news every week than I remember in the first ten years of my career. It's hard it's that we can shake a stick at anymore. Oh man, you know the kind of stuff that kind of changes paradigms. You know, mm. so. June 20th, 2022, another oil price article here. Uh, This is the day of our recording. Ukraine hits oil gas drilling platforms off Crimea, Russia says. So I guess the war is starting to spill into even more so Mm. oil and gas facilities. Mm. Mm. We'll go into this article a tad here. It's not too long. Ukraine forces attacked on Monday, June 20th, 2022, offshore oil and gas drilling platforms in the Black Sea, the Russia-installed head of Crimea said. Gas production is temporarily halted from the platforms, but there are no disaster-like consequences. 
All right. Uh, says somebody representing Crimea in Russia's upper house of parliament. According to a post on Telegram by Sergei Asgyanov, I think I said that right, <laughs> Asgyanov, I don't know, these names are a little weird for us English speakers, um, who was appointed as the head of the peninsula that Russia annexed from Ukraine in 2014. Ukrainian forces attacked drilling platforms of the company of, I'm not going to try and read that, <laughs> <laughs> some long old name, Shurnano Mysko Gobigaz, uh, yeah. The close. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Google Translate, hello. Uh, I don't know. Uh, in the Black Sea. So basically, a Crimea-based oil and gas exploration company which operates in the Black Sea, was seized by Russian-backed officials in Crimea from Ukraine's state gas firm after the annexation of Crimea back in 2014. Um, so I guess on this recent attack, five people, including three injured, have been rescued from today's attack. At the time of the attack, there were 109 people on three drilling rigs in the Black Sea. Russian lawmaker says that Russia would respond with Retaliatory strikes on Ukraine, decision-making centers, Moscow Times reports. Well, you better go into the bunker in Kyiv again. <laughs> and it does make me uh, wonder, as they said there was no disaster-like consequences, so they're not carpet-bombing these platforms, but for some reason or another, it sounds like folks were shooting, and uh, yeah. what does it say here? The Ukrainian military declined to comment on the reports of the attack yeah. on the platforms, noting it could not immediately verify those reports. So who knows, yeah, who knows. whether this was directed, but yeah. it's spilling out. It's affecting other people who are unarmed. Yeah, yeah. So, and again, it's just more turmoil and potential issues in the interruption of oil and gas and energy flows. It's just happening more and more and more, right? Mm -hmm. And so... I'll let you uh, take up to this, uh, the next article here about, ooh, ooh, where's China getting all their oil now, Tavis? Let's let you <laughs> dive on this one. <laughs> I bet those who have been listening will not be surprised. But we've got this article from Oil Price. Russia overtakes Saudi Arabia as China's top oil supplier. And that, that's today as well. June 20th, oh, yes. my goodness. Here we got some bullets. Chinese imports of Russian crude surged by 55% in May as the world's biggest <laughs> importer of oil took advantage of major discounts. Who's mm -hmm. surprised? Russia is now overtaking Saudi Arabia as China's top oil supplier. While Russia is sending lots more crude to Asia, it's unlikely that the Asian market can absorb all 4 million barrels that were going to Europe. So... This is just a relationship that continues to grow even stronger as Russia sends cheap crude to not only India, but China and pretty much anyone who will take it. Let's dive into the article, get you some numbers. China imported 1.98 million barrels per day of Russian crude oil in May. I, I gotta say that again. In May, 2 million barrels per day of Russian crude oil, which was up 55% from last year's at 1.6, roughly. So it's, it's growing. They were already doing plenty of business. They're only doing more. Russia is also estimated to have overtaken Saudi Arabia to become India's... Oh, no, let's, let's restate that. Am I getting ahead of myself? You got, no. <laughs> so China imported 2 million barrels a day of Russian crude in May, up 55% from May last year, and up from 1.6 million barrels a day of Russian crude. Oh, in, in April. April. That was my mistake. Thank you for catching that. Up 55%, yeah. not from 1.59, but even less. So it's so we're seeing a massive year-over-year -year increase, and April to May was an, was another increase. Mm -hmm. Of about, what, 
almost 400,000 barrels. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. In 30 days. Woo. That's a change in the rate. What was I saying yeah. about? Ah, yeah. Also, Russia is estimated to have overtaken Saudi Arabia to become India's second largest supplier of crude oil in May. The average daily rate of Russian oil exports to India stood at 819,000 barrels last month, compared with 277,000 barrels per day in April. Oh my gosh. I just get so, to... Yeah. Worse and worse. They get bigger and bigger. They sell more and more oil because people recognize that these are important resources that they can use to develop. And while the rest of the world, I don't know, uh, dreams, they are getting things done. And uh, it's it's messy. It's disgusting. I, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. We've called it. We've drawn the stage. Yeah. Now, they say that still analysts doubt that the Asian market can absorb all 4 million barrels a day of oil that Russia was sending to Europe. Hmm, what does that mean? What is, what is being implied here? If China can't take it all, what are they going to do with it? Well, a couple of problems with that. In a normal market, with normal geopolitics, you have normal expectations, right? Mm. They take so much crude in to run their economy, manufacture their stuff, power their stuff, right? Makes sense to me. Um... I am not going to go on the limb of hope. (laughs) We're going to basically hope that Russia can't find a home for all that crude they were sending to Europe. Based on what? Based on historical trends? I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you right now. The Chinese are going to do all kinds of stuff that they're not real transparent about. All right. The fact that we even know that so much is going to China in and of itself is a red flag. The reality is that China, if they want, could literally cordon off hundreds of thousands of acres of what used to be rice paddies and just fill it with lakes of oil mm-hmm. for their own reserves and then cover it with green stuff netting that floats on oil so you can't see it from satellite imagery. Mm -hmm. You really think that's out of the realm of possibility? I mean, leading up to the Summer Olympics of 2008, China imported a whole lot of oil way beyond what they needed to run their economy, and that was just to prepare for Olympics? Mm -hmm. Now, for those reading any news and following anything in regards to the China geopolitical stuff, the tensions there... You know, China could be gearing up to do more than just manufacture tennis shoes, everybody. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, I can promise you that if they get it at the right price on discount, they will find a place to put those crude oil barrels. Oh, yeah. I bet they have the storage. And even if they had to put it in fields or some crazy, ridiculous storage solution, at that point, I mean, come on. How much oil is moving through China and how much of it is say doctored lied about mm-hmm. documents adjusted ships trading some barrels i mean this russian oil is going to find a way to market however it can because europe still needs it and they'll take it whether it goes through china or iran well, as long as they don't care where it comes from the other thing is that if somebody is selling something that you need at 30 percent off you're going to find a home for it mm. okay you will Bathtubs, First it was, oh, Russia's not going to be able to do much with their energy because of these sanctions. Not the case, mm-hmm. right? 
And then it was, oh, well, India and China are starting to buy. Now they're buying record volumes, right? Well, who else is out there going to want to buy it at 30% off? There's plenty of takers, guys, I can tell you. And the more countries that defy the U.S. sanction system, the less risky is for the next one to say, you know what, I'm going to buy that stuff too. Yep. And that's a fact, okay? We can't forget that's a fact, right? So basically... They have something that is a world-traded product. It's a commodity that is the most utilized commodity on the planet. It has over 6,000 identified uses, a crude barrel of oil does. Way beyond gasoline and jet fuel, okay, and diesel. It's a lot of stuff that it's in. If you sell something that somebody needs at 30% off, which is what they've been doing, mm -hmm. essentially, or more, it will find a home. Oh, yeah. Period. And so I just, you know, the analysts say that, well, we don't think it can absorb it all what? So you hope that that means that Russia will finally feel the burn of the yeah. sanctions because they, they, they just ran stop. out of takers for their <laughs> needed commodity that's 30 plus percent off. Come on. No. Were you no. born yesterday? Who mm. are these analysts? Who are these people saying uh. these things? What are they trying to do? Make the, make the administrations in the NATO-centric countries feel that they're still freaking chance yeah dude ah, it's probably bluey folks, folks don't have the ability to speak as candidly as we do so that's why you listening should probably frack that follow button so you're not missing any of this golden information that apparently people are too afraid to dive into yeah so we'll bring it up back across the pond here to the good old united states we finally have an oil company of note that grew a spine <laughs> Oh, man, they could only be pushed so much. I'm sure most people listening have heard something around this. Well, this is really short. We'll, we'll just dive into it. From Business Wire, June 15th, 2022, Exxon Mobil fires back at the White House. Tavis, I'll let you take this one. Oh, I would love to. Such a short, sweet, hard-hitting article. This is Exxon Mobil's statement that they released in response to Biden going, you guys are taking advantage of folks with the refineries. You made more money than God. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but one-fifth as much as Apple. Oh, yeah. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> this is ExxonMobil's statement. We have been in regular contact with the administration to update the president and his staff on how ExxonMobil has been investing more than any other company to develop U.S. oil and gas supplies. This includes investments of the U.S. of more than $50 billion over the past five years, resulting in an almost 50% increase in our U.S. production of oil during this period. Globally, we've invested double what we've earned over the past five years. 118 billion on new oil and gas supplies compared to the net income of 55 billion. This is a reflection of the company's long-term growth strategy and our commitment to continuously invest to meet society's demand for our products. Specific to refining capacity in the U.S., we've been investing through the downturn to increase refining capacity to process U.S. light crude by about 250,000 barrels per day, the equivalent of adding a new medium-sized refinery. We keep investing, even during the pandemic, when we lost more than $20 billion and had to borrow more than $30 billion to maintain investments to increase capacity to be ready for post-pandemic demand. In the short term, 
the U.S. government could enact measures often used in emergencies following hurricanes or other supply disruptions, such as waivers of Jones Act provisions and some fuel specifications to increase supplies. Longer term, government can promote investments through clear and consistent policy that supports U.S. resource development, such as regular and predictable lease sales, as well as streamlined regulatory approval and support for infrastructure such as pipelines. That's that's their note. That's their letter. And I love this because they give irrefutable data. They compare it to emergencies of the past where supply chains were disrupted and they tell them what, hey, they're doing stuff that isn't helping. <laughs> so this is such a short statement, but I think it it packs a lot home. It does. I mean, it really does. I mean, this is just such a blame everybody else. Blame mm. Putin. Blame oil companies. Blame, blame, blame game. You're the one who canceled pipelines. You're the one who's increased biofuel mandate standards. And more so during the pandemic, you increased them again. I mean, it's ridiculous. You're blaming everybody else. Mm -hmm. While I mean, Exxon continued to invest more money than they were making into projects that, well, the president has said he wants right now. They've increased their refining capacity. They kept producing in the United States despite losing lots of money, like we talked about last week. Yeah. Like, what do you want? <laughs> what yeah, more can I geez. do? Yeah, I know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually pull up. We don't do this as often, but every now and then I run across a gem mm -hmm. in LinkedIn, some sort of commentary. And this one I'm going to point out on LinkedIn was um, from, I believe, June 16th. And it was from, a, I don't know this man, but a Mr. Doug Sheridan, uh, commentary, commentary and Opinion, Global Energy Industry. And uh, this is a nice little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of read this for everybody. The Wall Street Journal editorial board writes, Joe Biden has suddenly discovered that a refinery shortage is driving up fuel prices. <laughs> suddenly discovered? Suddenly. Whoa. Naturally, he's blaming refiners, even as his admin doubles down on past policies that created the shortage. Mm. In a remarkable and threatening letter to oil and gas CEOs this week, POTUS seems stunned to learn that prices rise when supply doesn't meet demand. He's aghast. Gas prices, gasoline here, are still rising above $5 a gallon even as oil prices have stabilized at $120 a barrel. The problem, he concludes, must be greedy oil companies making too much money. At least Mr. Biden has finally noticed the dearth of refining capacity to process crude, which has existed for years. The U.S. has lost about 1 million barrels a day of refining capacity in the pandemic, and we've talked about that before on our show. Some new refineries have opened in Asia, but the International Energy Agency... IEA, recently reported that global capacity last year fell by 730,000 barrels. A major culprit is legacy government policy. Some older refiners have closed because companies couldn't justify spending on the upgrades as government forces a shift from fossil fuels. They also have to account for the EPA's tighter permitting requirements. One problem is that gasoline consumption, which has been trending lower from last year's level as prices climbed, yet refiners will be required to, tend to blend 10% more biofuel this year. That means refiners will again hit the so-called blend wall of how much ethanol and biodiesel can technically be processed into the nation's fuel supply. Refiners that can't comply must buy regulatory credits adding cost to their business. 
Some large refiners, such as Marathon Petroleum Corporation and Phillips 66, have sought to comply with these biofuel mandates by converting refineries to produce renewable diesel from vegetable oil. <laughs> this also lets them cash in on a $1 a gallon federal tax credit and regulatory credits under California's low carbon fuel standard, in which other states are copying. Chevron CEO Mike Worth said recently that refineries are shutting down or being repurposed for renewable fuels because, quote, the stated policy of the U.S. government is to reduce demand for the products that petroleum refiners produce. To sum it up, one, when companies are told that demand for their product must be rendered obsolete, it's no surprise they don't invest in supply. In fact, it's predictable. To sum it up, two, the president slammed refiners for reaping record profits. Does he not understand markets? Refining petroleum is a low-margin business, and the companies lost money early in the pandemic as demand for gas and other fuels fell. Now margins have widened as demand rises again and the industry's capacity to produce has shrunk. To sum it up, three, Biden demands refiners purpose concrete ideas, quote-unquote, to immediately increase its capacity. How about the admin reverses policies handed down from D.C. politicians and bureaucrats designed to put refiners out of business? And we talked about this before. You increased the biofuel blending mandate since you've been in office. Mm. And right now you have worldwide grain and food shortages cropping up and increased prices. What planet are you from? You could reduce the price of gasoline almost overnight by suspending or reducing these stupid biofuel mandates. You don't have the feedstock. Mm -hmm. And the, do, what you do have is more expensive by a lot. And, and, and then the, the non-major refiners, they just can't even keep up. So they're going to oh, shut no. down. You, you shut down a handful of, quote-unquote, small refiners, you have a hit to your national refining system. And the ones that, that you're talking about, small to mid-cap, but even the large players, like they mentioned, oh, I'm sorry, like Mr. Sheridan mentioned, Marathon, Phillips 66, these aren't small names. They're complying with these biofuel mandates, re-kitting their refineries because the government said, you have to. And then predictably, we see something like this, super large reductions in refining capacity. Can we be all that surprised? I mean, I'd, I'd be frustrated as heck, man. If I was told to do it, I did it, and then I'm publicly called out and threatened? That's, yeah. that's not a, right. that's not, that's animosity. Don't worry, we're going to produce all kinds of diesel from vegetable oil. Mm -hmm. Is it, oh, wow. I guess that'll oh, just be future. another thing that we... <laughs> The transition, the vegetable oil transition could be coming up right on the tail end of the coal transition. Oh my gosh. It is refreshing though to see people, I mean, granted, Mr. Sheridan looks like an energy expert. He's involved in this industry, but what started with people just slapping the, I did that sticker onto pumps is as of late, from my perspective, turned into more people, especially in my life, asking me, so what can you tell me about this? I heard this. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, they try to dupe the American people, but it wasn't that long ago where they, uh, everybody knew we were producing a lot of oil. Mm. But they got complacent about it because, well, it's still carbon stuff, you know, and that's just not good, and, and we should use less. And But they knew we had it here, the shale boom. Right? It's mm. not that long ago that we were a net exporter for the first time in over half a century. And now all of a sudden, we're, we're having supply issues within a couple years. 
again, government can do, in my opinion, very little to increase raw production, but they can certainly damage supply that is there and capacity that you will need by absolutely ridiculous stances administratively and politically. Mm -hmm. You know, and then we'll just end up this week's episode is when one reporter in the last week or two asks White House Press Secretary, well, why don't we do more drilling in the U.S. for oil and gas? And the response was, we don't need to do that. Oh, we don't. (laughs) We don't. don't. That's the response. We don't need to do that. I mean, record high energy prices. So what do we need to do? Yeah, what's the solution? More green? That's what people have been doubling. Have a crapload of solar panels and (laughs) and EVs that what? We have to source from where? Oh, yeah. China. China. Who doesn't even, well, who cares we so much about week. what we care about? That they're buying record volumes of Russian crude. Ah, mm-hmm. Telling our defense secretary, if you in any way, shape, or form involve yourselves or tamper with Taiwan, we will go to war with you. Mm-hmm. Go to war with you. Hello. Look, you, you better get this stuff straight quick. All right. You better stop blocking reasonable production reasonable refining a biofuel mandate for what why are you increasing a biofuel mandate when you're worried about a global food shortage why are you still having that in place it's lunacy Mm -hmm. if everything else aside if you had a worldwide hold up with grains because of what's going on with ukraine don't you think you want every single grain stock used for food it would make Not sense. to put in a freaking gas tank? Just to burn. Wake up. <laughs> God. I mean, I think... Ridiculous. Do we have any other stories? Because this episode isn't getting to about 37 minutes, so we might wrap it up at this point. I don't really have much to say. We've spent almost 40 minutes now highlighting just why this is absurd, why it's difficult to operate under the administration, but you got anything else to say? No, that wraps it up. I wanted to stretch this out a little <laughs> bit more just to give time to... Let some of these ridiculous things sink in for people. A oh, bit yeah. More. And we'll keep talking on this, folks. Like I said, frack that follow button. We'll have another episode of this out next week. We've got plenty of other content where we revisit a lot of these ideas. These aren't half-baked things. This is stuff we're researching, chewing over, and really stretching to the far reaches of the internet. We're not pulling this from the only two sources we know of. We try to find a little bit of everything. So please join us as we try to come up with our own thoughts, our own opinions, read between the lines, and educate ourselves on a failing energy policy in the United States. But this has been Tavis Killian and Anthony McDaniels with another episode of the Wacky World of Energy. And until we see you next time, take care, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Tavis.